we've had, uh, as I said, a great time uh, just over the last week being up the north coast. And um, we, we, uh, our, our kids are early risers. Um, and uh, so Aaron follows in the same trait as the other two did. Um, six o'clock is she's bright and, and ready to go. And so a few mornings I was out early uh, for a walk when I was up there. Uh, just uh, and it's I, I love being uh, beside the sea. I love uh, just that place of where land ends and sea begins. And it's it speaks to me so much of the majesty of God and. And it's like when you look out across the sea, that's all you see is the sea. There's no other distractions. And, uh, and somewhere at the horizon uh, where the sea seems to end away, I always get that sense, that's where you are, Lord. You're just sitting right there and you're looking back right at me. And uh, I've spent many years up there walking the coast. Um, and, uh, and life, what I have learned is life has many different seasons. And for me, this season is very much different to many other seasons that I've had walking up along those coastlines. Um, the, the, most of the time that I would have spent up there would have been talking stuff out with God, battling through, as James has said, trying to get God to see things from my perspective, telling God what I think should happen or how this all should pan out. And, uh, and this time was a wee bit different. It was a wee bit different. I found myself, and it's not till afterwards, it wasn't actually in the midst of it. I found myself, I was, I was rather quiet. I was actually saying, Lord, what do you want to say to me? And, and you'll have those seasons in life. You'll have seasons where you're trying to battle something through. And, uh, and you'll also have seasons where you've battled through and, uh, and you're ready to hear. You're just in a place of maybe surrender. And... Uh, and at the same time, I, I, I'm reading a book. I um, can't remember the name of it. That's how good the book is. But uh, um, Andrew Gribben sent it to me in audio. Andrew's way out there. And um, uh, really understand the Father heart of God. And that's not the title of the book. And, uh, and understanding that he loves us and he cares for us more than we can actually imagine or comprehend. Uh, and some of the words of that song is of, of those songs that we sang you know he loves us he cares for us he's intimately passionate about us he calls us to be his children and uh, at the same time I've been reading through the story of Abraham and I just thought this morning I'm going to leave a few thoughts with you out of that story the story of Abraham and Sarah I don't know how many are familiar with that story um, I knew a wee bit about it but not a lot and, uh, and so I've been uh, reading through that. And the story starts in Genesis chapter 12, and I don't know whether you've got a Bible with you or not. Um, we're introduced to um, Sarah and Abraham, actually just in the last verses of chapter 11, but the main story starts in Genesis chapter 12. And uh, we read about this couple, Abraham and Sarah, and, and these, this couple are, are so unique that uh, there's quite a few references to Abraham in the New Testament, to their faith, to, you know, how in spite of their difficulties, in spite of even their poor decisions, in spite of, of all the difficulties they faced, God had a promise and uh, God was going to see that promise through. And, uh, and that's what I want to talk about this morning. 
I want to talk about us being people who live by promise. Later on, I'm going to talk a wee bit about the idea of um, performance. And, uh, and we're not to be people of performance. Performance is important. People need to perform well in their jobs. They need to perform well at school. They need to perform uh, just in different areas of life. But for some reason, that has crept into our homes. It has crept into even our church life, that we value people. We, we judge people. We give them their identity on performance. We even value ourselves on what we do for God. How many people we have talked to about Jesus, to how many people we have talked to this week about Jesus. We value, we, 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 we judge ourselves on performance. And so I want to talk about promise. And we'll see within this couple that the promise was twofold. One is God has an overarching promise for them as a family, as a nation, as a tribe. And then we see also that God has a specific promise. And the more and more I journey in Christendom, the more I, I, uh, I read of this and the more I spend time with, with um, people, good people who inspire me, I see two things. One is they live by the overarching promises that are made to us as children of God. And the second is they're not afraid to grab a promise that God has made to them and step out on faith. On this. Well, basically, this is how the story goes. It's a couple. They're a couple. And uh, they're seven, he's 75 and she's 65. They're in their, their, well, anyway. And God speaks to them in, in Genesis chapter 1. And he says, leave your country, your people, your father's household, and go to a land I'll show you. I, I don't know what I'm going to be like when I get to 75. But I imagine I'll not be too hasty on just moving. I'll not be too hasty in moving and leaving and getting up and leaving all my possessions and the things that I'm familiar with and go. And they did. They stepped out on this promise from God. Thumbs up for these pair, eh? You two know about it, don't you? You two know about it. And others too, others too. It's not easy stepping out like that. And they did. And you know, to the outside world, this couple looked perfect. They had possessions. They had the ability to move. They had one another. They looked like as if they were the ideal couple. But we read at the end of chapter, I always say behind every smiling face, there's a story to be told. And for this couple, there was a story. There was a heartache. There was a difficulty. Now you get to 75 and 65, and their difficulty was that they had no children. We read that in, in the last verses of chapter 11. Sarah was barren and childless. And uh, maybe you're sitting there and you're saying, so what big deal? Some people do. I, I've sat there and said, well, what's the big deal? What's the big deal? Because I didn't really understand. I wasn't in that place in life. But we have journeyed with couples before in life, and, and for them, it's been difficult to have children. They've had to wait. They've had to journey a long time. And we have seen the effects that that can have. On the outside, everything looks perfect. But in the inside, there's, there's a shattering. There's a, a loss of hope. And um, 
And uh, maybe for Sarah, she has this mothering nature and, uh, and she just wants to express that through a child. And, uh, and to get to 65 and still have that longing in your heart must be, must be a huge thing. We, as I say, we've journeyed with people for three and four years, maybe. Most was a couple that was seven or eight years and, and, and finally they had a child, but the heartbreak month after month after month, and you know what I mean by that. And, uh, and, uh, and just the effects of that. Maybe for Abraham, Abraham's a wealthy man and he owns a lot of land and he owns a lot of cattle and he's ambitious and um, to have no heir, to have nobody to come on after him is, uh, is a big thing. And you know what that actually can do? That can actually, we've seen it, we've walked with it. It can leave people feeling isolated. Julie shared a couple of weeks ago about misfits. People who haven't children sometimes and, and there's lots of joking, when are you going to have your child or when are you going to start a family and maybe there's a difficulty in the background and a, and, and a not fitting in attitude can easily be created. We're not told how long they lived with this struggle. But we do know as we read on through this story that it was a big desire uh, of their hearts. And, uh, and as we come to chapter 12, I can't help but think they have battled with this so long, so long, and they've talked it out so much with God that they're like just coming with hands open and saying, okay, we've tried everything we know. And here you go, God, we're ready to listen. And again, Julie shared on that a couple of weeks ago about us being in a place to listen from God. You know, God's always speaking, but because of the noise and the hurry and the distraction, life rushes past. And maybe you're here this morning and you're saying, why are you speaking on this? Maybe you're here this morning and saying, you know, my difficulty isn't because of a child, waiting on a child. Um, but maybe you're waiting on something. Maybe God has promised you uh, something and, uh, and you're not sure what the outcome or when the outcome of that is going to be. And I hope as we just go through this story that we're encouraged to see that God's faithfulness is not dependent on our actions or reactions. As I say, chapter 12, verse 1, God told them to leave their country. And verse 4, we see they went. And uh, they went and traveled through the land. And if we're following the scriptures on it, we read in verse 6, they, they came to a place later known as Bethel. And, uh, and God meets them there and makes this beautiful promise to God. He says, to your offspring, I will give this land. Uh, God, have you forgot about something? I don't have offspring at the minute. Like, what, what are you saying here? And, uh, but Abraham does an amazing thing at this point, And I think it's somewhere where I lack in life. After God spoke to Abraham, Abraham builds an altar. You see, it's very easy to forget. It's very easy to forget when God makes a promise to you. 
But Abraham, I don't know whether it was wisdom or just something. He says, I'm going to build an altar and remember what God has spoken to me about here. When was the last time you documented? When was the last time I documented a word from God and remembered? Built an altar of a sort. We only get three verses later. And guess what? A famine hits the land. A famine hits the land. God, you told us to leave the security of our home, our family, our, all that, and come to a foreign land. And now we're faced with a famine. And uh, there's one thing for sure. If God calls you to do something, don't think the path's going to be rosy. Don't ever think it's going to. I'm not speaking doom and gloom over your life, but it's, there's going to be difficulties. In this world, you will have trials and tribulations, but Jesus says, be of good cheer, because I have overcome them all. So instead of waiting again on the voice of God, they think, um, okay, there's a famine. Let's do something. Let's plan something. They decided that they would give God a wee hand. Do you ever, do you ever give God a wee hand with things? Do you ever think, mm, God, you need a wee hand with this? Oh, you need a wee hand to sort this out. I think I'll take this matter into my own hands. If something happens to you. This, this famine was not something that was caused by them overeating. This famine was a famine that swept throughout the land. And we see that they decided to give God a wee hand. They said, let's go up to Egypt because Pharaoh, there's a Pharaoh, there's a king up there and there's plenty of provision up there. And so we'll go up there and we'll, we'll, we'll be able to sustain ourselves there in Egypt. And as they're traveling up, Abraham and Sarah and all their possessions and all everything they have, their herds and everything else, Abraham comes up with this idea. He says, Sarah, would you mind just for this time when we're in Egypt, just let on you're my sister? Why? Why should I let on you're my sister? Or I'm your sister. And, uh, and the story goes like this because... Um, if they, th if they think that you're my wife and the Pharaoh sees you, your beauty is so great that he's going to kill me and take you to be his wife. Now, I couldn't help but think this lady is 65 years plus. She's going up to the palace. There's probably thousands of ladies of all sorts in Egypt and the king can have whatever one he wants. But the beauty of Sarah is so great at 65 years of age, the king hears about her, spies her, and brings her to his palace. What on earth type of um, anti-aging cream is she using? He can have any. And so that's what they did. They went up. She was taken to the palace and and, uh, and the king was going to take her as his wife, thinking that Abraham was his sister. And uh, um, just before the king's about to do that, a great sickness travels through the palace. And the king say, comes to his senses and says, this has, to do, this has to do with something to do with Sarah and 
uh, Abraham. And so he summons Abraham, and Abraham comes in before him and explains, yes, she's my wife, but I was afraid. Do you ever make a decision out of fear? And then look back on it and go, why on earth did I ever make that silly decision? And, uh, and so uh, the pharaoh, the king, then orders them to go. Leave, take all your possessions, get out of here. I don't want to see you anymore. And I can just imagine uh, Abraham and Sarah walking off with their tail between their legs thinking, why on earth did we try to give God a hand? Why on earth did we try to make that decision? Why on earth didn't we wait and listen for what God wanted us to do in this time of famine? And so they went back. Guess where they went back to? They went back. We read in chapter 13, they went back to the place where they built the altar. They went back to the place where they first heard of God, or heard from God, as they were in the new land. And, uh, um, and God comes, um, and they, uh, comes and renews, and renews themselves in this promise. You see, God, we read then God in, in, in chapter 13 that God blesses them so much after that, that the land couldn't hold them anymore. And they had to split company. He, their nephew Lot was with them and they had to split company because their, their herds became so big, their possessions became so big. Imagine if that was the case for me today, that my herds and my possessions became so great that Armagh wasn't big enough for me anymore. Or you, but God blessed them. He, he blessed them. He had made this promise to them. And uh, so Abraham goes to Lot one day and he says to Lot, look, this land isn't big enough for us. And we need to, we need to sort this out before trouble rises between the two families. And so he does the noble thing and he says, Lot, you choose. You want to go east or you want to go west? What do you want to do? Which do you want to? And uh, and Lot, he says, I'm going to go east. He looks over the land and he says, it's beautiful, it's rich. And he, he makes this decision based on his eye. Was it a good decision or was it not? We'll see in a wee minute. And, uh, and so off he goes. And it's nearly as if because Abraham allowed Lot to make that decision, then God comes back and appears to Abraham again. And he makes another promise to him. And he says, look down at your feet. He says, I will make your offspring as numerous as the dust of the earth. How many times has that God has promised him? Three or four? can't remember. As we enter into chapter 14, we see this decision that Lot made. He, he looked at the land, but he didn't think too deeply about all the tribes that were surrounding this land, all the battles that were going on, all the difficulties. And he, he just was led by his eye and drawn away. And, uh, and those kings and all those different tribes were fighting among each other. And Lot got caught up in the middle of it. And his life is in jeopardy. And, uh, and we read that Abraham takes 318 of his men and goes into the midst of all this difficulty and rescues Lot and brings him out. And there's a beautiful picture of how in spite of the, the bad situations that we make in life, God is there to redeem us. Redeem us back. 
and, and bring us back to safety. And, uh, and in chapter 15, we read that Abraham has just finished doing that. And I don't know whether Abraham's sitting now in fear or what way he is. Uh, maybe he's thinking, I've just taken on all those kings and all those tribes and all those nations and rescued Lot and now I'm back into my own land. But what if them guys come after me? What if them guys all get together and come after us? They'll wipe us out. We have only 318 great men. There's thousands upon thousands of them. And as he sits in this moment, God comes and guess what? Meets with him again. In chapter 15, and I, I, I really felt uh, drawn as, as I read this. In chapter 15, God comes to Abraham. As I imagine, he's sitting in fear. And God says to him, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. And I, I, I couldn't help but think of, as I was going to speak this today, is there someone here and you're sitting in fear? You don't know what the future is going to hold for you. You don't know how it's all going to pan out. And I really felt that was a rhema word, a word from God. If you want to jot it down, it's... it's, it's um, Genesis 15, verse 1. Do not be afraid. He goes on to say, I will be your great shield. And I will be your great reward. I tried to get a picture of this uh, so I could put it up on the screen, but I couldn't find anything because, um, because I think the picture that God was giving, him, giving Abraham here is the soldier and the soldier holding the shield up. The shields back in those days were about four foot high and about two and a half foot wide. And a soldier could fully hide behind the shield. And, and God says to Abraham, I am your shield. I will protect you. See, if all those armies, all those difficulties come, just hold out the shield. I'll be your shield. Do you know what the interesting thing about a shield is? A shield doesn't work if you carry it behind you. It doesn't work if you go ahead of it. You have to hold it out and you have to hide behind it. And, and I know for me far too often I'm walking with my shield here. Shield come, you come and, and I'll dictate the way. I'm trying to swing something with this hand. My vengeance or my, my rights or my whatever. I'm swinging it with this hand and holding the shield back here. And God's saying, just hold out the shield. He didn't give him a javelin. He didn't give him a sword. He didn't tell him, I'll be your sword or your javelin. He said, I'll be your shield. Hide behind me. And I just love this beautiful picture because there's times where God allows us just to hide behind him. And I can just picture Abraham. He's, he said, okay, I'm going to crawl in behind this shield. And I'm going to hold it up with all my might. But you see, Lord, when I'm in this wee place, this, it goes on to say this. You see, when I'm in this place, there's, and you see while you're protecting all that stuff that's going on out around the world. Maybe you're here this morning and you hear Ireland's call and you hear about Robin heading off to India and you hear about um, all the things that are happening with people outside of this place. But you're sitting in here and you're saying, my heart's breaking. You don't know my situation. It's very hard for me to connect with all that stuff going out there when my heart's breaking in here. 
And, uh, and, and, and he's sitting there. He's sitting there. And he says, God, there's one thing that's on my mind. There's one thing that we've been battling with for many years. It's a child. And, uh, and so God takes him. And he takes him. And again, he makes another promise to him. He says, come on. Come on, Abraham. I want to show you something else. The last time I asked you to look down, uh, this time I want you to look up. And he takes him out and he, the stars are bright in the sky. And he says, look up. He said, look up because this is how many you're going to have. This is what your descendants is going to be like. God makes a promise to him. Neil talked a couple of weeks about, about, about covenant. The one week I was here in the last, I don't know how many. But he talked about covenant. Covenant is very, very different to contract. And when God renews this covenant with Abraham, it's not based on Abraham's performance. It's not based. It's based upon God's promise to Abraham. And I think, as I've said earlier, we need to become people who live by promise. We need to start getting the promises of God and start standing out on them and living on them. Chapter 16, 10 years, another 10 years passes. Last time, way back at the start, we heard that, that Abraham came up with a brainwave. This time, Sarah comes up with a brainwave. And she says, um, right, another 10 years have passed. We still don't have a child. There's still no answer to this problem. I think, I think it's time I give God a hand this time. And so she goes to Abraham and she says, look, my maidservant, um, why don't you take her? Why don't you take her and have a child and a family through him? And I suppose after a period of time and wearisomeness and whatever, um, sometimes we all just give in, don't we? We all just say, well, all right. All right, we'll do that. And uh, Abraham is now 86 years of age or 87 years of age. And uh, they have a son. He has a son with his maidservant. And his name is Ishmael. And, uh, and let, me just, let me just put this a wee bit wider here. We now live with the effects of Ishmael. The Middle East, the trouble in the Middle East comes from the line of Ishmael. The greatest battle to Christianity comes from the line of Ishmael. Be careful of the choices you make. You might think it's small, but that choice will, could affect your family line forever. It could affect the people that are closest to you forever. It could have huge, um, huge things. So I told you 10, 10 years have passed, and so they have Ishmael, or Abraham has Ishmael. Another eight years passes, and Abraham is 99 years of age. But guess what? God still has his promise. God made this promise to Abraham, his covenant to him. We come to chapter 17, and, uh, and God comes and visits Abraham again. 
In verse 2, God reminds him of the promise that he made. I will confirm my covenant between me and you. I will greatly increase your number. And uh, and we read in this section that Abraham bowed down. He surrendered to God. But while he was in that place of surrendering, he did one thing. He laughed in disbelief. Have you ever laughed in disbelief? I have. There's times I have thought, there's no way this could ever be sorted. There's no, time has gone on far too long. I'm too old, too young. I don't have X, Y, or Z. My wife is barren. How on earth could this ever work out? And so Abraham left in disbelief. In chapter 18, we read that they had a visit from three heavenly beings. And Abraham's very keen to bring them in because he's really desperate to hear from God. And he he tells Sarah, prepare a meal. We're going to have a chat with these guys. I don't know who they are. I just believe they're heavenly beings. And while they're having this chat, one of the men says to, to Abraham, Sarah is standing at the doorway of the room. She's half in and she's half out of the conversation. She's a wee bit curious. Are these men of God or are they not? She's half in and half out, as I say. And, she's, and uh, one of the men said, said, says to Abraham, this time next year, your wife Sarah is going to have a son. This time next year, 24 years on, or this is 23 years on from they stepped out on a promise from God. And, uh, and you know what we read Sarah did? She laughed in disbelief. They both laughed in disbelief. Not much faith there, is there? And sometimes we say, oh, the promises of God are dependent on our faith. Hmm. Not so sure about that one. They were totally faithless at this point. You know, the beautiful thing is in chapter 22, we read that Sarah laughed again. But this time she laughed with joy because uh, she was holding her baby boy one year later. In, that, in the midst of chapter 18, when God challenges Abraham, he says, I think he's challenging him about him laughing as well, but he says, did your wife actually laugh when those three men give that message? Did, they, did she laugh in disbelief? And, uh, and God's response to that is, maybe you want to jot this verse down too. I think actually you should put this as your screensaver. I think ladies, you should write it up on lipstick, on your, on your mirror, uh, where you do your makeup every morning, or some of you, most, most of you don't need makeup anyway. Um, men, where you're doing your makeup. Genesis chapter 18, verse 14. It says this, is anything too hard for God. Is anything too hard for God? She's 90 years of age. He's 100 or 101. There's a whole debate on that, but who cares? And they have, they hold their baby boy, the promise of God. 
Maybe you're here today and you feel like a foreigner. You feel like you're in a strange land. You're in territory you have never been before. Maybe you're uncertain of what the future holds. You know, maybe, you, maybe life has turned out not exactly the way you've expected it to be. There's one thing that I've learned and learned from great people who I've journeyed with. I've said this earlier. There's one thing you can trust in the ups and downs of this world. And we need to learn how to trust them more is the promises of God. People will come and go. Situations will come and go. Politics will come and go. Economies will come and go. But God's promises remain sure. How do I land this? How do I draw this back into us? I like what it says in Galatians 3, verse 29 about Abraham. It says, if you belong to Christ, if you belong to Christ, answer that question within your own heart. I'm not talking about shame or something you've done last night or something, some bad attitude, but the overarching question is, do you belong to Christ? And if you do, then you are heirs because you are Abraham's seed. You are heirs to the promise of God. You are heirs to this overarching promise that God will prosper you even in your difficult times. Galatians 4 verse 29 says, we are to be like Isaac. We are to be like the children of promise. Are we going to live like children of promise? Or can I just draw it back a wee bit because I have a wee bit of an itch about this? Or are we going to be people of performance? And judge people, live that way ourselves, and also judge people around us. Or are we going to be these people of promise? Romans 4 verse 18 says, I love this. Oh man, do I love this. I think if you could stew on something, please stew on this. Abraham, when even all hope was gone, when he had no reason to hope or believe anymore, finally, saw the promise of God. Finally, do you hear the word, do you hear in that midst of that, finally? Is any of us good at waiting? I'm terrible. And so let me ask you uh, a few questions that I have asked myself. Have I recently taken time to listen to God, to search for him, to uh, understand him, or even to be reminded of the promises God has for me as his child. You know, maybe you're sitting here, that's question number one. Maybe God has given you a promise and you forgot about it. You need to go home and maybe search it out and pull it out of wherever you've recorded it and see what that promise says. Maybe you need to go and speak with God and spend some time with him under the shield and let him get on with all the rest of the stuff. And, uh, and get a promise from him for where you're at in life. Maybe you need, maybe God has spoken to you. The second thing is, maybe God has spoken to you and told you to move from your, where you're at in order to receive what he has in store for you. Maybe he's calling you to step out in faith. 
wonder did Abraham and Sarah calculate the cost of moving into the foreign land? Or were they just so much in a place of like, well, well, if we, we've tried this for how many years and it hasn't worked? And now, Lord, whatever you want us to do, we're going to do it. And uh, maybe let me ask you this question, because I think this is important. Are you in the middle of about to make a decision where you think you need to give God a hand to speed up the process? Stop and think about it. Because the decisions you make today will determine your future. David McBride has preached that over the years up here. The decisions you make today will determine the future, but it will not alone determine your future. It will determine the future of the people who are close to you and around you. Are you living um, with law, the laws of promise or are you living by the laws of, uh, of performance? As I want, to, I want to finish now, I just want to say, again, we talked about two promises. The specific promise where Abraham and Sarah is concerned. And you need to search and spend time with God for that. But you can do that in the assurity that there's an overarching promise that God has made with his children. The overarching promise is that promise that we are all heirs to, as I've said already in in Genesis chapter 12. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. God's plan for our lives is that we would prosper and do well. I'm going to end with a prayer. I'm very aware that there's probably three types of people sitting here among us. One is you've never faced a trial. You have no idea what I'm talking about. The reality is one day you will face a trial and I'm not speaking negatively over your life. The second type is that you're in the midst of a trial and it's very hard to see above the water. Your head is just bobbing above the water. You're out of your depth. You feel you're out of your depth. You know, God has beautiful promises where that's concerned. He says when the waters flood you, I'm paraphrasing, they'll not overpower you. They might come up to here, but they're not going to sweep you away. And another beautiful verse in the midst of that is, is the picture of the reed, a bruised reed he'll not break. A reed is, is, a, is a weed or it's a, something that grows out in bogland, and when the wind comes, it bends. But God says, I'm not going to push it so far that it's going to break. It might bend you a wee bit, but I'm never going to uh, break it. And, I, and the third type is that you're just after coming out of a trial and you're looking at something in a totally different perspective and, and God has stirred faith within your heart and you've realized that God has been gracious to you and he's blessed you. But you've had to wait. You've had to wait on that promise. But those people in, in section number two that I've talked about, uh, there's a specific way I feel and, and I want you who have just came out of a trial and understand the goodness of God, I want you to pray with me on this one. But for those who are in the midst of the trial, 
Um, we read in chapter 21, verse 1, we read that the Lord was gracious to Sarah and she bore a son. And, uh, and that's the way I want to pray this morning. Is that okay? Can we do that? And so if you recognize that you're in the midst of a trial, you're in the midst of a difficult situation, midst of, of uncertainty, um, let me say, God has got it all under control. God's got it all under control. It's easy for you saying that, Neville, isn't it? It's easy for me saying that, isn't it? I'm not living in the midst of it, but I believe so strongly in what God has asked me to share this morning. And so I, I, I just want to pray this prayer, that God would be gracious. God would be gracious. And, um, and can we do that? And then we're finished. Is that okay? And so, Father, um, the deep prayer of our hearts this morning is for maybe people who are sitting left or right or front or back of us. You are in the midst of uh, difficulty. Fear is raging all around and, and there's a temptation of throwing an odd javelin or swinging an odd sword. There's a temptation to, to not trust you, basically, Lord. But thank you, Lord, that you have promised that you are our shield. And in the midst of this story, you've also promised that there is nothing impossible for you. And, uh, and Lord, as we're, as we're just probably, some of us here this morning are just probably curled up behind that shield. Just getting to grasp the fact that you are protecting us. There's a few things, Lord, that's close to our hearts. There's a few things that are, are turn us up inside. And Lord, we want to be like Abraham. We want to see the promise. We want to hear the promise that you have for us. So Father, we understand about the presence of your Holy Spirit. And, uh, and we pray, Lord, through the power of your Holy Spirit that you will be gracious. And that as we wait upon you, as we trust in you, as we hope in you, as we go back to that place where we're reconnected with you, that Lord, that you'll encourage us, and bless us, even in spite of the difficulties all around us. Thank you that you are a covenantal God Thank you that your promises to us are not based on our performance or whether we live up to them or not. Be gracious, Father. Be gracious. 
Amen.